do like a clap or a snap. A little clappy. Yeah. Let's do a snap. One, two, two, three. three. I'm not good at snapping. <laughs> Me neither. So but that was close I enough. snapped and then I clapped. I think That's whoever. Also, I don't know who's editing this. Um, uh, whoever's editing it will have to fucking deal with that. Yeah. So should we should we start the show? We should start the show. All right. Hello and welcome back to Everybody Loves Communism, the leftist theory podcast where we do the reading so you don't have to. I'm Jamie Peck. And I'm Aaron Thorpe. And today we're going to be talking about a classic, veritable classic. Indeed, indeed. You, you have to, if you consider yourself a communist or you want to understand the state, uh, you have to read this. You gotta it's great. Yeah. You'll, you'll love it. You'll have to see it. We are, of course, talking about State and Revolution by our boy, Vladimir Lenin. Vladimir Lenin. Our boy, Lenin. Uh, Jamie, why did, why did we want to cover this uh, today, especially after doing the Gotha program oh, uh, last time around? Well, um, that is an excellent question, Aaron, and one I wish uh. I had prepared an answer for. But um, <laughs> I think... Uh, Thinking back to critique of the Gotha program, um, where Marx warns against reformism and opportunism yeah. and reiterates the need for a revolutionary overthrow of the bourgeoisie by the proletariat. Um, this is very much in that same vein because Lenin was mad. He was big mad uh, about all these fucking Kautskyites and Mensheviks yes. and fucking SRs. And even like he wasn't even that mad at the anarchists in this one. He yeah, kind of saves yeah. his uh, anger at the anarchists for later. Uh, but basically yeah. revolution was in the fucking air. Like he wrote this during the time of the Russian Revolution. Like he actually had to leave off at a certain point and go fight the Rev, which is like yeah. a, quite the flex, I will say. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And there were the prodigal all, son returns. Yeah, yeah, and there were all these fucking people who were like, you know what? Actually, maybe we should just like keep running in these elections, and eventually we'll yeah. pass a law that does socialism. And he was like, no. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, because all of these uh, these uh, Mensheviks and essentially social Democrats, uh, they were revolutionary in word, but uh, not in action, you know, and that was something that um, he was uh, he was upset about with Kautsky and, you know, his followers. The fact that they kept thinking that they could take a peaceful parliamentary path to socialism instead of what needs to be done, which is a violent revolution, which uh, we'll cover today. Mm -hmm. And also talk about the feasibility of, of a violent revolution and, uh, you know, a prospective United States uh, socialist uh, transition. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, it is. Uh, we'll get into it in the modern day relevance, but I do feel very much like these people are still around. Exactly, they're still exactly. among us and they're still fucking gaslighting us yes they are they're still using catchphrases and all these sorts of like platitudes to kind of dupe people right into thinking that um you know the state is this mediator between classes instead of what it really is which lenin talks about in a state and rev mm -hmm. so yeah, um yeah. do you maybe want to start us off with a little historical context Sure. I did my homework this time around. Uh, so uh, for the timeline, the core ideas of state and revolution were developed by Lenin. Uh, and he was in exile in Zurich, uh, Switzerland. 
And uh, he was in exile in January and February 1917, and he wrote this after his decision to revisit Marx and Engels on state power. Um, so he starts writing it from August to October 1917, and State and Revolution itself played no role in the revolution because it actually wasn't published until after the Bolsheviks seized power in October and November of 1917. And uh, the final version was written following the October Revolution. And uh, finally, it was published oh, so in January cool. 1918. <laughs> yeah, man. It's, it's cool that, like, you know, this wasn't just about, um, it wasn't just a response to the events unfolding in Russia since the February Revolution. Uh, which overthrew the Tsar and resulted in a provisional government, which was known as the Duma. Um, this was actually in response to Karl Kautsky, which we mentioned earlier, who was at the time, even by Lenin himself, um, before then, he was widely recognized as a leading Marxist theorist of eh. the international socialist movement and, quote, left Marxist. Um, Kautsky, though, in reality, he was a centrist and, you know, as I said, revolutionary in words, but reformist in action. And um, yeah, he believed that socialism could be achieved through peaceful parliamentarianism. And uh, if you guys listen to our episode on the critique of the Gotha program, you'll uh, see that Marx had similar criticisms of the German social democrats at the time. And um, this was also directed at anarchists, too, uh, who believed in abolishing the state entirely. And uh, Lenin says, quote, the anarchists want to abolish the state, blow it up as comrade Bukharin expresses it in one place, erroneously ascribing this view to the socialists. But I do want to add, as you, as we were talking about, JB, that Lenin really does save um, his ire for the anarchists uh, later on and really directs it at these opportunists, these Mensheviks, these social democrats. And um, now Russia, like the, uh, like, sorry, Russia, like Lenin, like the badass that he is, he returns to Russia um, and he actually reads the April Theses, uh, which is uh, pretty much his work uh, that he worked on his notes, which was called the Blue Notebook that he worked on about state power um, ideas that he had reread from Lenin and Marx. And he reads th this April Theses to the Bolsheviks and Menshevik leaders, and it called for the overthrow of the provisional government um, and the replacement with Soviets, which were workers and peasants councils. And it also invoked the Paris Commune, which was, of course, a big um, inspiration and driving force for Lenin's ideas about what the state actually is um, and what a socialist state would look like. And uh, just to finish that out, although it wasn't published until 1918, uh, Lenin's ideas um, on the question of the state guided the Bolsheviks. And it can be said that the revolution in October would not have succeeded without them. And not only that, but state and revolution then became a manifesto for revolutionary working class struggles worldwide. So, uh, yeah, it's a very uh, pivotal, important text, especially when we consider what a socialist state democracy would actually look like. So, uh, yeah. Love it. Yeah. Love it so yeah. much. Um, I like how anarchist it is, actually. Like, there's, yes. there's people who call themselves Leninists who really, when you talk about how the state eventually needs to wither away, they look at you like you got three heads and you're like, hey, hey, why don't you read, some, why don't you read this thing by your favorite guy and see what he has to yeah. say about it? Like he really yeah. did care about communism. He wasn't just yeah. trying to do some kind of authoritarian state capitalist situation as, yeah. you know, this, oh, this is my horizon. We're our work here is done. No, yeah. like he really believed in this shit. I may not agree with him uh, with uh, about how we get there, the statist strategy that we're going to go mm -hmm. through in this text. But honestly, I don't know. 
And that's part of why I'm doing this podcast is to kind of exactly. decide what I what I think about all this. Yeah. And, and to be fair, Lennon, too, I think uh, when I was doing that, uh, just like kind of looking up the historical context from what I read, Lenin too ended up um, in exile while he's kind of forming these ideas while reading Marx and Engels rereading. He actually kind of uh, shifts a little bit more to um, Bakarin's side um, because he realizes that, you know, there, there does have to be uh, in the transition, transitional period, right? There does have to be, um, uh, well, he calls it a dictatorship of the proletariat or there should be an armed workers government. Um, but not entire abolition, right? There has to be something in the intermediate, uh, intermediary period, right? It's just, as we'll talk about, uh, we'll see how history kind of has borne that out, you know? I also like how he's really doing praxis here. Because, yeah. like, this is what the party is supposed to do, and this is what the party is supposed to be, right? In the course of action, in the course of practical activity, to really be cohering the theory and the ideas um, as a result of action and a result of mm -hmm. communicating with everybody on the ground. And that really exactly. is what he's doing here. He's synthesizing these things in real time. So that's very exactly. exciting to me to read as, yeah. especially as, as someone living in a time when we're so far away from, well, never say never, but <laughs> a time yeah. when it, at least currently in our present moment, when a revolution is not currently happening. Although you never know what could be around the corner. Never know. And, you know, I think that uh, what we got to remember too, you know, with this historical context is that, you know, there was a revolution, there were several revolutions in Russia, you know, before the establishment of the Soviet Union. You know, I mean, 1905, you know, which Lenin was also advocating for like an armed uprising, you know, then 1917, you know, February, and then you had October. And even that, you know, there was a civil war you know, for like two years, you know what I mean? Where world, the great powers, you know, Britain, UK, France actually, <clears throat> you know, invaded Russia in order to depose the Bolsheviks. So this is all kind of a process, you know, like I'm not going to be, you know, trite and cheesy and say revolution is happening every day, every second. But we got to remember that these are processes, you know, that take time. And I think Lenin was, um, you know, aware of this. And even though... When we talk about the withering away, even though, you know, it doesn't have a step by step sort of like, you know, 12 easy steps to like, you know, abolishing and withering the state. Um, that's kind of left to interpretation, because I think that he, like Marx, understood that these are things that happen in real time, you know, and that, um, you know, we should be prepared for it. But they happen as they happen. That's how we respond, you know. Yeah. And one more thing before I go into my summary of mm. the first part. He is a pretty good writer, I got to say, after reading Marx and Engels, like, yeah, the, it's funny, too, because, like, obviously, he looks to Marx and Engels to make an argument from authority or to help him understand the state. But, like, there's so many places where he's like, I'm just going to quote Marx or Engels at length here. And then he yeah. says the exact same thing way more succinctly. So props exactly. to our boy for that. Yeah, yeah, he really made it. And I think that that's what... That's what makes it like if you're going to write like a revolutionary pamphlet and you want to hand it out to like the proletariat, uh, it's it's simple kind of like, you know, uh, incisive, concise language, like the way Lenin writes. It's like, I mean, it's it's not only kind of motivating, inspiring, but it's very easy to understand. You know? Yeah. Hell yeah. It also kind of made yeah. me feel a little bit better about how we're always saying, oh, we just have to quote it at length because there's no <laughs> yeah. he said it so much better than us. And then we yeah. sum it up afterwards. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. you know what? If Lenin was doing the same thing, maybe we're in good company. 
Yeah, and he says it too. He'll just be like, Yo, I'm just going to quote like this fucking yeah, page long yeah. paragraph. It's like, and I'm like, all right, cool. He was a podcaster. He was podcasting. Yeah, he was, he was the original podcaster. Yeah. So, you know, <laughs> shout out to the OG podcaster, Lennon. <laughs> shout out to the OGs. Hell yeah. So, yeah, I got a little summary of parts one and two of, oh, by the way, we're doing chapter huh. one on this episode. Oh, yes, yes, yes. We're not <laughs> before, doing before the we, whole uh, book. Yeah, we're, we're not doing the whole thing. I think, Jamie, we said that uh, we're going to, after this one, we're going to tackle the other parts. But, uh, yeah, we're going to tackle part one, chapter one today. Uh, and I'm going to do three and four because it's it's probably most important. And uh, it's. It's, you know, probably the one of the longer texts that we've covered yeah. so far. So it's easy to we, break it up. We're going to try Like, maybe we'll fill it out. If we do chapter yeah. one and people are like, where's the rest of the chapters? We'll do the rest of the chapters. Um, yeah. But if people are, like, satisfied and they want to move on, we can also do that. You know, yeah. sound off in the comments. I'm going to turn my yeah, mic down know. a little bit because I feel like it's um, going into the red on my audacity. Yeah. Does it sound good to you? Yeah, sounds good to me. Sound great. Levels are good. I just I just turned it down like a scotch. Yeah, so, a scotch. All right. <laughs> Without further ado, let's do part ado. one. So, as we said, Lennon comes in hot with this one. This is a hot take, and he's really pissed off at his enemies, and he just owns them over and over and over again. So hmm. he starts out saying, "Quote." What is now happening to Marx's theory has, in the course of history, happened repeatedly to the theories of revolutionary thinkers and leaders of oppressed classes fighting for emancipation. He says that when Marx was alive, none of the people he's talking about listened to him, but now that he's dead and his ideas are gaining in popularity and waves of revolution are spreading across Europe, they're like, oh, oh yeah, me and Marx, we go way back. Yeah, we were tight. That's my boy. Yeah, fuck off. So yeah. he writes, all the social chauvinists are now, scare quotes, Marxists, parentheses, don't laugh. Yeah, I like that he put in parentheses, don't laugh. <laughs> oh, so good. He's so salty. Like, LOL, basically. <laughs> yeah. Lameo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but he says, these people, quote, Obscure, uh, omit, obscure, or distort the revolutionary side of this theory, its revolutionary soul. And, quote, they push to the foreground and extol what is or seems acceptable to the bourgeoisie. So basically, he's calling them sellouts, fucking shellouts. Sellouts. And uh, again, he's referring to the Mensheviks, the Kautskyites, and Everybody but the Bolsheviks and the anarchists, I think, because all these motherfuckers have entered into the provisional government and mm -hmm. they're like trying to mold Russia's system of governance, which is like a very, very young and fragile uh, bourgeois state, uh, capitalist mm -hmm. democracy, whatever you want to call it. Um, they're trying. Yeah, they're trying to mold it into some sort of social democracy or maybe we'll get socialism eventually. But you have to be a good little worker and vote for Democrats. While also supporting the first world war. Which, you know, which we might add, they were also supportive of the First World War, which is why, like, so many people across Russia were pissed off. Yep, right. that is definitely part of it. <laughs> we, that's a big part of it that we sh yeah. probably should have mentioned earlier, but oh well. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
But yeah, and, and again, revolution is a real possibility at this time, given the dual mm-hmm. power situation with the Soviets. The Tsar has already been overthrown and the, the Bolsheviks are wanting to take it a step further and overthrow capitalism. So uh, I understand why he's mad, because these are the people who are standing in the way of that. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, Lenin says we got to combat this distortion of Marxism by taking a long, hard look at Marx and Engels' theory of the state. So this is basically him saying, don't make me tap the sign. Yeah. (laughs) He knows. Quote, this will necessitate a number of long quotations from the works of Marx and Engels themselves. Of course, long quotations will render the text cumbersome and not help at all to make it popular reading, but we cannot possibly dispense with them. Vibe. Like we said, <laughs> that's extremely our mood all the time. Exactly. Uh, so, like, I'm just going to quote the main man, yeah. So, like, I really appreciate it. And if he couldn't yeah. do it, if he couldn't get this out, if you couldn't get this done without doing that like who the fuck do we think we are exactly it makes me feel better yeah so he starts with the most popular of Engels' works at the time uh which is the origin of the family private property and the state um should we side note perhaps we should read this i was just thinking that we should probably read that yeah well no note yeah. to self we could probably even do that after staying in rev but we'll, we'll talk Ooh, about it. yeah yeah um yeah. talk later So summing up his historical analysis, Engels says, so this is Lenin quoting Engels, quote, the state is therefore by no means a power forced on society from without. Just as little is it, quote, the reality of the ethical idea, quote, the image and reality of reason as Hegel maintains. Uh, This is me again. Uh, He's talking about idealism, basically. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Back to the text. Rather, It is a product of society at a certain stage of development. It is the admission that this society has become entangled in an insoluble contradiction with itself, that it has split into irreconcilable antagonisms. He's talking about class, uh, Mm. which it is powerless to dispel. But in order that these antagonisms, these classes with conflicting economic interests, might not consume themselves and society in fruitless struggle, it became necessary to have a power seemingly standing above society that would alleviate the conflict and keep it within the bounds of order. Orders in scare quotes. And this power, arisen out of society but placing itself above it and alienating itself more and more from it, is the state. So now Lenin says, quote, This expresses with perfect clarity the basic idea of Marxism with regard to the historical role and meaning of the state. The state is a product and a manifestation of the irreconcilability of class antagonisms. The state arises where, when and insofar as class antagonism uh, objectively cannot be reconciled. And conversely, the existence of the state proves that the class antagonisms are are irreconcilable. Boom. So what does this mean? It means... Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, yeah, it means that like the 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 idea that people think that the state, I mean, liberals will, you know, especially think that the state is a mediator of class interests. Right. Like the state is some referee. But like, as you just read, you know, um, of what, you know, Lenin is uh, quoting from Engels is the state is a byproduct of these class antagonisms that cannot reconcile themselves. I mean, so. 
Yeah, the classes only exist for the oppression of one class by the yeah. other. I mean, it's it, a byproduct. It of is a referee if the referee's job was to make sure that one team still beats the other. Exactly. It's like it's like it's like a mob referee. You know what I'm saying? It's like a referee paid by the mob to make sure that this yeah. guy like loses the fight. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, totally, yeah. totally bought off. Um, yeah, love yeah. a sports metaphor. Trying to get yeah. better at them. I don't really watch sports. I watched a basketball documentary last night, actually, which was pretty good, but that's about it. All right, great, because I don't know anything about sports, so... <laughs> yeah, good, good. Um, keep that shit off this show. That's, yeah, that's yeah. what I'm trying to say. Um, <laughs> nice. But anyway, yeah, so well, what does this mean? I, here's what I have to say. It means mm. that every class society is composed of different groups of people with fundamentally mm. opposed interests. And here, here you see, you see, I mean, he's talking about capitalism, but I think this theory is widely applicable to any kind of class society, whether you're talking mm. about Roman slave society, you're talking about feudalism, you're talking about cap mm. like anything with classes. But in capitalism, yeah. um, the bosses, they want the workers to work as many hours as possible for as little money as possible. Right. And the workers generally want the opposite. So that's not something that's ever going to change. That's not something that's ever going to be resolved. So it's the state's job to sort of manage the conflict, not resolve it, right? Because it's not possible to resolve it without a revolution, um, but they just have to manage it so that things keep some semblance of stability while ultimately preserving the current order of things. Exactly. So um, he further illustrates what he means by spotlighting two different distortions of Marxism that are making him mad. So first, the bourgeois and petty bourgeois ideologists bootlickers that they are say okay maybe there's lots of historical evidence saying that the state only arises from uh, class antagonisms uh, but the state serves to reconcile this conflict just like a marriage counselor would help you know two quarreling lovers you know oh they're gonna reconcile the slave master and the slave <laughs> and Len's like no fuck that he says, according to Marx, the state is an organ of class rule, an organ for the oppression of one class by another. And once again, this is me now, the only thing that can actually resolve these contradictions is the revolutionary overthrow of the oppressors by the oppressed. That's right. So the other distortion he goes over is from good old Kautsky, who he's very mad at. Uh, which he says, uh, he says this distortion is far more subtle. And I agree. Uh, the term we might use today is gaslighting. He says, quote, theoretically, it is not denied that the state is an organ of class rule or that class antagonisms are irreconcilable. But what is overlooked or glossed over is this. If the state is the product of the irreconcilability of class antagonisms, if it is a power standing above society and alienating itself more and more from it, it is clear that the liberation of the oppressed class is impossible, not only without a violent revolution, but also without the destruction of the apparatus of state power, which was created by the ruling class and which is the embodiment of this alienation. So basically, the Kautskyists say they recognize the nature of the bourgeois state, but then they deny, against all historical evidence, that revolution is possible and necessary in order to overthrow the system. Um, this yeah. tendency is unfortunately alive and well today. If you've ever read an article in Jacobin by Vivek Chibber about how we're going to somehow like vote our way to socialism via these uh, mm -hmm. orderly parliamentary means, uh, yeah, that's exactly who he's talking about. Uh, so yeah. number two god i'm starting to get mad now yeah 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 re reading rereading re this made me just uh like just 
incredibly angry because it's like we said this about uh we said this about uh critique of the gotha program is the fact that marx is uh railing about this like you know uh oh, like 200 something years ago you know mm-hmm. and we're still having to deal with these same exact like koskyites these uh. mensheviks uh yeah yeah anyway so <laughs> number two concerns special bodies of armed men prisons etc now says lenin as daddy angles said um that's direct quote that's what he called him um daddy no like that's that's actually a really dark joke because lenin was um 15 when angles died i believe so oh. <laughs> don't mind me oh okay <laughs> yeah you don't want to know what uh angles called lenin no, I don't. I don't think I do. So, quote, the second distinguishing feature of the state is the establishment of a public power which no longer directly coincides with the population organizing itself as an armed force. So it's not a people's militia. It's something separate from and above the people. Quote, mm. this special public power is necessary because a self-acting armed organization of the population has become impossible since the split into classes. This public power exists in every state. It consists not merely of armed men, but also of material adjuncts, prisons, and institutions of coercion of all kinds, of which clan society knew nothing, right? They did not have cops in hunter-gatherer society. They just handled shit on their own as a community. So Lennon sums it up. Quote, Engels elucidates the concept of the power, which is called the state. A power which arose from society but places itself above it and alienates itself more and more from it. What does this power mainly consist of? It consists of special bodies of armed men having prisons, etc. at their command. So basically the police, the carceral state, as well as the standing army. Um, these are the primary instruments of state power that Lenin is talking about. Um, he doesn't mention it here, but I don't, I don't think. But these bodies have a monopoly on the legitimate use of violence. Yes. So he takes another pot shot at the bourgeois ideologues who he calls Philistines, who, when you ask them why we need police in prisons, they feed you some line of bullshit that sounds scientific, but it's not. Uh, because the crux of the matter, once again, is the split of society into irreconcilable antagonistic classes. They're like, I don't know, we've always had, we've always had this society, you know, we live in a complicated yeah. world. Or, or what would we do? What would we do if we didn't have cops? Yeah. You know, if we defund the police, what, what do you do about like, you know, criminals and rapists and murderers as if the cops actually catch, you know, people who commit these crimes anyway? That's another story. Fact check. No, they do not. No, they so, fucking do not. <laughs> were it not for the split, he says. The self-acting armed organization of the population would differ from the primitive organization of a stick-wielding herd of monkeys or of primitive men or of men united in clans by its complexity, its high technical level, and so on. Like, you can imagine a people's militia that's more complex than a bunch of guys with rocks and sticks, right? But, he says, such an organization would still be possible. So, yeah, like a really advanced, volunteer, non-professionalized people's militia is different from the cops, is different from the army under the bourgeois state. I think that's pretty clear. Um, but it's not. this is not possible in class society because if you have a self-acting armed force drawn from the workers and one another one drawn from the bourgeoisie, they're just going to descend into civil war and no one can accumulate profits when that's happening. So you need something that's separate from both of them, but it's always it's always going to serve the interests of the class that's in charge um i mean sometimes that might mean intervening in favor of the workers because you know if they try to squeeze them too much that could also cause a revolution um yeah. 
So great new deals, great new deals are like a perfect example. You know, it was it was pretty much the preservation of capitalism under the threat of like a violent revolution, right, in the United States. Yep. And guess what? They fucking took it back a few decades later. They Reagan Reagan us out right out of there. So yeah. that's what happens. Yeah. That's what happens when you think, oh yeah, that's that. This is good enough. We can stop. We don't have to have a revolution. Yeah. Like you're gonna get fucked. Spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, therefore. I'm continuing with my summary. In the course of revolution, the oppressed class will seek to destroy the state apparatus and replace it with an organization of its own capable of serving the exploited instead of the exploiters. Boom. So Engels says, generally speaking, that this public power tends to grow stronger over time, quote, so that it threatens to swallow the whole of society and even the state. And Lenin points out how Engels predicted the turn towards imperialism and ultimately World War One. Pretty fucking smart, I gotta say. And now I'm going to pass it off to you, Aaron, to summarize parts three and four, unless you have anything else to say about all that. No, let's uh, let's save some of that for discussion, because uh, there's a lot of interesting points that um, that we kind of mentioned and that Lenin brings up. But so, so part three uh which is the state an instrument for the exploitation of the oppressed class. And um, Lenin starts out saying that uh, the maintenance of the special public power standing above society requires taxes and state loans. And he quotes uh, Engels again. He says, quote, having public power and the right to levy taxes, the officials now stand as organs of society above society. The free voluntary respect that was accorded to the organs of the gentle clan or clan constitution does not satisfy them, even if they could gain it. Special laws are enacted proclaiming the sanct sanctity and immunity of the officials. Um, and I like this line a lot. Uh, quote, the shabbiest police servant has more authority than the representative of the clan, but even the head of the military power of a civilized state may well envy the elder of a clan, the unrestrained respect of society. Um, so I think here this this is rooted in coercion, right? I mean, of course, there's the actual material funding of the uh, of the state and of these special bodies of armed men through taxes, um, but there is also coercion, right? Where Lenin talks about or Engels talks about the clan and the sort of respect, right? That is not like carried with any wealth or prestige or anything like that, you know. Um, I guess in primitive societies, um, it might have been um, age, you know, what people would call wisdom. You know, you had, um, you know, clan leaders and chieftains, right, um, that whose power was not uh, was not afforded to them by any notion of private property, right, or ownership, right. Um, so Lenin then continues to say, oh, give me a second, um, that uh, or Engels then actually Lenin quotes Engels and he says. The state arose from the need to hold class antagonisms in check, but because it arose at the same time in the midst of the conflict of these classes, it, as a rule, the state of the most powerful economically dominant class, which through the medium of the state becomes also the politically dominant class and thus acquires new means of holding down and exploiting the oppressed classes. Um, and I think that like, you know, one of the examples that I thought about, um, especially coming off of uh, special bodies with armed men, or things like, you know, um, qualified immunity, you know, and things like that, like all these protections that police officers have to continue to, like, kill people in the streets. I mean, the fact that elected officials are not held legally to the same standard that working people are, you know, just the fact that also, too, if you have money to afford a lawyer, right, um, 
sorry, if you want have money to afford a lawyer as well, right? Um, this is something that's afforded to obviously the ruling class and the bourgeois and not working people. So these are some of the sort of constraints outside of um, immediate violence, right? Um, that the bourgeoisie empl uh, employs in order to oppress, oppress the working class. Um, to continue, uh, Marx actually, uh, sorry, Lenin actually adds too, he talks about uh, the Kerensky government, right, at his time in Republican Russia, which persecutes the re revolutionary proletariat um, at a moment where the Soviets have power, but the bourgeoisie are not ready yet to disperse them. And he continues with quotes angles again extensively. So it says, wealth exercises its power indirectly, but all the more surely, first by means of the direct corruption of officials. And he mentions, he quotes America, or in parentheses, uses American example. And secondly, by means of an, quote, alliance of the government and the stock exchange and France and America. Um, and at the time, too, this is something I should have mentioned before. Um, you know, this is in the midst of World War One as well where the, uh, the Duma, the provisional government, and the so-called leftists of that government are actually in league with the bourgeoisie to continue this imperialist war. Um, so this is one of the other ways in which uh, the bourgeoisie kind of maintains their hold, right? Um, not just on the economy, but the populace as well, right? Through imperialist wars, which, you know, are often used for the excuse of preserving, you know, um, not just the nation, but the revolution at home, Ugh. right? Yeah. Note yeah. to uh, social democratic parties. You never vote for the war credits, people. It's not going to turn out well for you. Yo, no, it will not turn out well for you. And actually, um, you know, Lenin continues and says at the time of his writing, there were opportunistic socialists, quote, socialists. So you had the SRs, with, which were the socialist revolutionaries and the Mensheviks, who, again, allied with the bourgeoisie to perpetuate imperialism while being paid. Um, and he talks about this uh, uh, Mr. Pelchinsky, um, who is this uh, social democrat who obstructed every measure intended for curbing the capitalists and their marauding practices, their plundering of the state by means of war contracts. And since later on, Mr. Pelchinsky, upon resigning from the cabinet and being, of course, replaced uh, by another quite similar Pelchinsky, was, quote, rewarded by the capitalists with a lucrative job with a salary of 120,000 rubles per annum. Um, that's a lot of rubles. That's a lot of rubles. I don't know how, how what that would be in American U.S. dollars today, but that's, that's at the time, that's a lot of money. And um, Lenin says, what do you call that? Direct or indirect bribery, an alliance of the government and the syndicates, or, quote, merely friendly relations. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something that, again, like I know I just mentioned that we have to understand is that, you know, there's this sort of indirect violence that happens under capitalism that doesn't necessarily, of course, it involves special bodies of armed men, but that's not, that's not sort of the daily violence that um, we see all the time under capitalism. Of course, it happens every day, but it's this coercion, right? Um, it is the legal bonds, the cultural bonds, religious institutional bonds, right? Um, that oppress working people, right? The working class. And um, this is what the state is intended for, right? This is how the state actually exercises its power, right? Um, and uh, this point actually is really interesting too, because this again goes back to um, critique of the Gotha program where Marx critiques um, the call for universal suffrage of the social Democrats. And Lenin ends part three with um, addressing this. And he says that universal suffrage um, 
he says that, sorry, Engels, quoting Engels, he says that universal suffrage is, quote, the gauge of the maturity of the working class. It cannot and never will be anything more in the present day state, right? Um, so the SRs, the Mensheviks, uh, social chauvinists at the time, these opportunists, um, again, people like Kautsky, um, these people falsely believe that universal suffrage, everyone getting the right to vote in a democratic republic is capable of revealing or actualizing the will of the majority of working people. However, Lenin again points to Engels and says, the state then has not existed from all eternity. Um, this quote, this, I'm going to read this at full because and then explain it because this quote is actually wait, wait, really wait. great. Aaron, yeah. uh-huh. are, are yeah. you saying we can't force the vote our way to socialism? <laughs> no, we cannot force the vote into our way to socialism. You cannot petition, uh, call your reps, right, uh, uh, to petition them to, to implement socialism. That's, that's oh, not how shit. it's going to happen. I'm sorry, y'all. I'm sorry, y'all. I'm right. sorry I, you forced the vote, I, people. I, I, I'm going to need to change at least some yeah. of my plans coming up, um, but I, yeah. I, I'll, I'll figure it out later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll figure it out later. We'll figure it out later. Um, but I'm, I'm going to quote this at length because this is a, this is an amazing quote um, um, that Lenin uh, points out from Engels, and I'll break it down after that. But he says, quote, the state then has not existed from all eternity. There have been societies that did without it, that had no idea of the state and state power. At a certain stage of economic development, which was necessarily bound up with the split of society into classes, the state became a necessity owing to the split. We are now rapidly approaching a stage in the development of production at which the existence of these classes not only will have ceased to be a necessity, but it will become a positive hindrance to production. They will fall as they arose at an earlier stage. Along with them, the state will inevitably fall. Society, which will reorganize production on the basis of a free and equal association of the producers, will put the whole machinery of state where it will then belong, and this is amazing, into a museum of antiquities by the side of the spinning wheel and the bronze axe. Oh, so good. So good, man. And, and basically what that means is that, I mean, I think that you don't have to take anthropology 101 to like understand this, but like, you know, earlier societies, they did not require a state. Right. The state becomes necessary during a certain stage of economic development. And this stage of economic development is based upon the splitting of society into antagonistic classes. Right. Um, it, since the state is this, this product of irreconcilability of class antagonism for the oppression of one class by another, soon this class structure actually becomes an obstacle right, to how can I put it to realizing the full potential of our uh, collective productive capacity? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I mean, think about climate change, for example. Right. I mean, climate change throws a wrench into especially right the machinations of the capitalist class because you can't make profit, you know, on a planet that's, you know, like uh, embroiled in, you know, catastrophic wildfires and hurricanes and so on and so forth. Right. Um, but. Essentially, this class antagonism, you know, it, it, it cannot possibly realize the full productive capacity of, of humanity. So therefore, the state, along with class society, it has to fall. Right. And this means that the state will be a relic of the previous mode of production, which is capitalism. Once the means of production are owned in common by all, mm-hmm. which I mean, I'll lead into this, but which this leads into the withering away of the state. But I think that's really important to kind of understand that, you know, when words like inevitable are used, I think 
a lot of people, especially critics of Marxism, you know, they point to like history and they say, well, it didn't work out in the Soviet Union, it didn't work out in China and so on and so forth. But I think that just based on the fact that capitalism itself and especially due to extractive resources, extractive um, extraction um, of natural resources and what it's doing to the planet. These processes and also the ruptures that it creates among the working class, these processes are unsustainable. Right. Mm -hmm. And well, they have to fall at some point. I mean, it doesn't necessarily I mean, we'll see. We'll talk about this. This doesn't really mean that the communist revolution will succeed. Um, But, you know, like uh, chattel, I mean, not sorry, but um, Greco-Roman slavery, rather, you know, um, didn't last forever. You know, feudalism, as long as it lasted for a couple hundred years, did also did also not last forever. You know, um, so chattel slavery yeah. in America yeah. didn't last. Yeah, forever. that's there the example. That fucking I, yeah. war. Exactly. It. Yes. Yes. And actually, JB, before that was a great segue. Do you want to mention anything before I segue exactly uh from what you just said because that was a perfect segue right there. oh my god uh thank you um <laughs> no i the only thing i would add to that was it, it's not just the productive capacity that capitalism is putting a lid on right it's the human capacity because yes. at the end of the day um do we want a society where we have the most stuff possible or do we want a society where we can all decide what we want to do with our time our energy and our creative powers uh yeah. And I think certain models of Soviet socialism, they call it like barracks communism or whatever, where everyone just has to work their ass off 24 seven forever in order to build up the productive forces in order to, you know, do economic development and outcompete mm. the capitalist powers of the world. Um, made sense at the time, but it's very outmoded now. And I want to I want to point people towards a more uh, a more liberatory, more anti-work, more ultimately human horizon. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, and and uh, I think I think that what that requires and um you you know we're segueing into this using uh the civil war the american civil war it's kind of a jumping off point is that that required a we call it a civil war and i wouldn't even call it a revolution right necessarily but it was a violent confrontation right between the planter class and the industrialists um in the north right um and in the fourth section right uh it's called the withering away of the state and violent revolution, which is something that the Kowskiites um, always seem to kind of kind of push no, away. I, right? I don't know. I don't know. Like Kowski wrote that thing, Road to Power. Right. I was just uh, I was just listening to Mark's Madness about it because I wanted to okay. see what they did with State and Rev. Okay. And I didn't even know that much about Kowski before I started researching this. But he was basically like. Okay, well, we got to do socialism, um, but like it's really going to be way better if we can do it through, uh, you know, just like following all the rules, voting for Democrats or whatever through passing the right laws. And then eventually that's somehow going to get us to socialism. We should only do a revolution if that absolutely fucking fails. And oh, how do we know when it's failed? Um, I'll tell you. Don't worry. I'll, exactly. I'll totally tell you when when it's time to do a revolution. Like, yeah, fuck yeah. off with that shit. Fuck all the exactly. way off, please. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just ahistorical, and it's also, I mean, it, it's just, it's it's not material. It's idealistic, is what it is. It's not rooted in any materialism at all. Um, 
So I are, love. Are kind of, uh, sorry, I yeah, I just love. I'm definitely starting to pick it up now too from Marx and Lennon and all the guys we're reading. It's really fun to call your opponents idealists and yourself a materialist because, like, what? Yeah. Where is the comeback for that? Exactly, exactly. And I think it also flips people too. Like, it fucks with people's heads because the the actual like philosophical meaning of the word idealist. I think people confuse that with like you know you being pie in the sky utopian. You know what I mean? Like where it's like, no, I'm actually not an idealist. You know, I believe in the things that I do because they're very rooted in the material world. Yep. You know, you heard yeah, yeah. you hear that right. liberals <laughs> yeah, turns exactly. out you're the idealist and we're the you materialists the fucking deal with it. Yes. As you always say, JB, uh, the communists are the real adults in the room. The communists only adults, are the in, adults the in the room. Oh, that I, I got to give credit to Sean for that one. But I say it a lot, too. And yeah. you know what? It feels good. So I'm going to keep on saying it. Keep on saying it's true. It is true. Um, Feels so good because this, this, it's true. It's good because it's true, man. Um, with this with this fourth part, I kind of want to read. Should I read this quote? Because this what what Lennon does here is that he takes um, he takes Engels' comments on the withering away of the state, and he takes them and breaks them down um, like in five points, detail by detail, to kind of peel back, I guess, the layers of the, the opportunism recuperation, right, of um, the withering away of the state. So I think it's important um, that he be kind of put, uh, puts this quote in full from Engels. And I kind of want to read it in full as well, because I and I'll, I'll kind of go through the way he does, because I think it's really it's really important to kind of understand um, uh, class antagonisms and abolishes the state as state. Society thus far, operating amid class antagonisms, needed the state, that is, an organization of the particular exploiting class, for the maintenance of its external conditions of production, and therefore, especially, for the purpose of forcibly keeping the exploited class in the conditions of oppression determined by the given mode of production, and in parentheses, maybe slavery, or serfdom, or bondage, or wage labor. The state was the official representative of society as a whole its concentration in a visible corporation. But it was this only insofar as it was the state of that class which itself represented, for its own time, society as a whole. And uh, Engels gives examples, historical examples. In ancient times, the state of slave-owning citizens. In the Middle Ages, of the feudal nobility. And in our time, of the bourgeoisie. When at last it becomes the real representative of the whole of society, that means the majority of people, working people, it renders itself unnecessary. As soon as there is no longer any social class to be held in subjection, as soon as class rule and the individual struggle for existence based upon the present anarchy in production, with the collisions and excesses arising from the struggle are removed, nothing more remains to be held in subjection, nothing necessitating a special coercive force or state. The first act by which the state really comes forward as the representative of the whole of society, the taking possession of the means of production in the name of society, is also its last independent act as a state. State interference in social relations becomes, in one domain after another, superfluous, unnecessary, and then dies down of itself. The government of persons is replaced by the administration of things and by the conduct of process of production. The state is not, in uh, quote, quote, uh, quote scares, abolished. It withers away. This gives the measure of the value of the phrase 
in Scarecrow's a free people's state, both as to its justifiable use for a long time from an agitational point of view and as to its ultimate scientific insufficiency, and also of the so-called anarchists' demand that the state be abolished overnight. All right, so I know that was that was a lot, and there are a lot of nuggets in there, but um, fortunately, uh, Lenin starts to break it down. Um, oh my a God, bit. when you said the majority, I no. really restrained myself from interrupting you, but I'm uh, going to say it now. This is uh, the real majority report. This is the real majority report, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, okay. I mean, I remember when we were thinking about this show. Uh, that that's kind of the direction that we were going in. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad. That you would said be that. a fun troll if we just called it that. Called the, it the, real, the real majority, majority report. report. <laughs> well, what did you? I think with the troll report is something else he said. That was pretty funny. The communism report. The communism with JB report. Jamie and Aaron. <laughs> oh my god. Oh shit. So where where do we even begin with this? Um, I mean, first of all. I, I like that um, it's important that Engels here um, and Lenin goes further and kind of elucidates this. He makes a differentiation between, um, quote, the withering away of the state versus um, abolition um, of the state, which is um, rooted in anarchist thought. Um, so firstly, Lenin clarifies that what withers away, and this is important, he says what withers away is the proletarian state after the bourgeois state is abolished. Right. Um, and um, I'll actually uh, I'll read a quote from him here. Uh, quote, this is Lenin. As a matter of fact, however, these words briefly express the experience of one of the greatest proletarian revolutions, the Paris Commune of 1871. And this was. Wah, main wah, ins- wah, wah. Yes, you had to get to do the horns, man, because this was the main inspiration um, for Lenin. And I mean, this this is also Lenin is coming off of. What Marx and Engels, what Marx specifically wrote about the Paris Commune, right? Its successes and failures, that two-month period, right? And he says, um, to finish that quote, uh, as a matter of fact, or reread it, um, as a matter of fact, however, these words briefly express, the exper- briefly express the experience of one of the greatest proletarian revolutions, the Paris Commune of 1871, of which we shall speak in greater detail in its proper place. Um, as a matter of fact, Engels speaks here of the proletarian revolution, quote, abolishing the bourgeois state, while the words about the state withering away refer to the remnants of the prota- proletarian state after the socialist revolution. According to Engels, the bourgeois state does not wither away, but is abolished by the proletariat in the course of the revolution. What withers away after this revolution is the proletarian state or semi-state. Um, so I feel like I, I keep I know I keep going back to the Gotha program, but I feel like um, when when Lenin is critiquing the way that the Gotha, uh, the Gotha program, the so- German Social Democrats talk about um, a free people state. Right. And he kind of starts to talk about what a state actually what actually constitutes a state. Um, we kind of got to understand uh, that this is a transitional period. Right. We can't immediately jump. As we talked about last episode, we cannot immediately jump from capitalism to um, to communism, right? There's that intermediate that attitude. Not with that attitude, exactly. <laughs> but there's a lower stage, right? There's a lower stage of communism, what we will call socialism, in which um, the vestige, right, of the state from the former mode of economic production, um, it'll be left over. It'll be something left over. Um, and Lenin continues to explain what that means. Um, secondly. Um, he says that the state is a special coercive force, right? Um, and this this means that the bourgeois state, which suppresses the proletariat, 
It has to be replaced by, again, he uses these words, special coercive force for the suppression of the bourgeoisie, a.k.a. a dictatorship of the proletariat, right? Dick pro. A dick pro, right? What's up? What's up? This this transition, though, it necessitates, necessitates the abolition of the bourgeois state and the establishment of a proletarian state again, which um, withers away. And I guess, and we'll talk about this, but I guess the root in this is that since... The root of this is that since uh, uh, the state, current state, the bourgeois state is based on class society and the division of classes and these class antagonisms, right? Um, it has to be abolished, right? Class has to be abolished for there to be, um, and I and the means of production have to be owned in common by all, right? But at the same time, this proletarian state itself, right, will have to wither away, right? It's not going to be a permanent holdover from capitalism. The idea is that once the means of production are owned in common by all, once everybody is entrusted, not just entrusted with, but everyone is um, encouraged to govern, has a role in governing in a true economic but also political democracy, there won't be any need for a state, which is, again, the suppression, exploitation of one class by another. Right. Um, yeah, so, I got to say, yeah, I yeah. do, despite mm-hmm. being like... As I've said, I'm confused, but yeah. I think yeah. it is a fairly persuasive argument that, you know, if you accept the basic premise that these are the conditions that give rise to the state, mm-hmm. um, these conditions have to change before we can get rid of the state. Otherwise, a new state's just going to take its place. Exactly. Exactly. And I think that that's, you know, again, like that's like, you know, it's kind of like immature and infantile and even utopian to think that, you know, we can exit capitalism and have the socialist revolution and then immediately jump to a moneyless, classless, stateless society, right? It's ahistorical. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's ahistorical and it's also like, it's not very material. It's not rooted in materialism, right? And um, I don't historical know. materialism. I don't know. Well, well, I mean, this is what we'll actually, well, I don't hope I'm not spoiling anything, but we'll actually have Andre on, um, uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully tomorrow, but if not tomorrow, we'll have him on for part two. And uh, I think Andre and I kind of are more uh, ideologically aligned. So hopefully we don't beat up on you, Jamie. But also like you, oh, I don't boy. know what the fuck to believe either. I don't know yeah. what the fuck to believe either. So oh, boy. I'll, uh, I'll have some questions for Dre as well. Because there are a lot of things in this I don't agree with, which we'll talk yeah. about. I'm not really sure about that withering away of the state. Yeah, um, it's a big old question mark in my mind. But continue. I keep interrupting yeah. you. I'm so no, no, I, no, no, no. This is, this is great because then we get to banter back and forth. Um, so the thirdly, now this is the thing that we'll talk about, because this part kind of confuses me, right? Um, thirdly, uh, Lenin says that uh, by, by the state withering away, this also means that there will be a dying down of democracy itself. Um, and I'm going to just quote him here, and we can talk about it. Um, he says, it is, uh, quote, it is, and this is a scary quotes, uh, incomprehensible. Damn, I like that shade. He's like, you guys are just idiots. Of course it would be, quote, (laughs) incomprehensible to you. Uh, It is incomprehensible only to those who have not thought about democracy also being a state and consequently also disappearing when the state disappears. Revolution alone can, quote, abolish the bourgeois state. The state in general, that is, the most complete democracy, can only wither away. And... I mean, I don't know if we just leave this for discussion, but I think we should maybe talk about it now. You know, when when I think about, I understand that when he's talking about democracy, he's talking about democracy under bourgeois democratic republics, right? I get that. 
But wouldn't couldn't the case be made that I don't want to play semantics, but you know, I guess democracy is majority rule, right? You know, um, that's that's what it's supposed to mean, I guess, right? Like people have the power, but majority rule. I mean, if we have a state that is controlled by workers, wouldn't democracy already be inherent, right? Like political democracy already come with economic democracy. You know what I mean? So would democracy actually be necessary? Does that make sense? Mm, yeah, I mean, that's a really good question, right? Um, and we have other thinkers who are very critical of the even just the idea of democracy itself and majoritarianism. Yeah. Like, um, yeah. I want to say Bordiga, although I haven't read that much Bordiga. I've just mm. read I, most of it I got from memes. But um, <laughs> oh, my God, my haters are right. Um, <laughs> that we just like, get all of, our, all of our theory from beeps. <laughs> Yeah, but like the idea, I, I kind of mm. like the idea that, you know, maybe it would be better to just have sortition, right? Just to have randomly selected uh, yeah. representatives from, you know, the because there's no classes anymore. Remember, everyone's uh, everyone's a worker slash philosopher king or whatever. Um, Podcaster, yeah. Slash, uh, you know, podcast poster in the morning, podcaster in the afternoon. Fucking, yeah. I don't know, maybe the moonlight doing some sexual mutual aid. Who knows? Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. <laughs> but like in this kind of society, it, it'd just be like jury duty, you know, like, oh, yeah. God damn it. I got to go do governance duty again. See yeah. you in six months. That yeah. might be better than this kind of um, democracy, which is in some ways taken from, you know, the bourgeois state and parliamentarianism and all that. Yeah, I think, you know, we'll, we'll talk about representative it. democracy. A exactly. We'll talk about it later. Um, we'll talk about it because I'm almost done with this, uh, uh, this 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 fourth part. But um, Lenin has two more points, um, which he, he draws from Engels quote that I uh, mentioned at length earlier. Um, in response to the uh, to the Koskiites, uh, he says, fourthly, uh, the state withers away is directed at not just anarchists, but opportunists as well. Ah, and that means the anarchists are not opportunists. So that's nice. Yes. And and to continue off of that, he kind of like uh, oh, should I say it? he kind of extends like, um, you know, the olive branch or extends the blunt, the proverbial blunt of the time to the anarchists Aww. with this quote. It's very nice. It's very nice. He says, the conclusion um, directed against the anarchists has been repeated thousands of times. Also, this is very, I feel like if you're on left Twitter, this is like, I mean, I feel like this <laughs> screams left Twitter. The conclusion direct against the anarchists has been repeated thousands of times. It has been vulgarized and rammed into people's heads in the shallowest form and has acquired the strength of a prejudice. Hmm. Whereas the conclusion directed against the opportunist has been obscured and, quote, forgotten. Mm, you don't say. You don't say. I, I like that a lot that he that, you know, even though he critiques the anarchist, he says, like, OK, we still need solidarity with these people who are actually anti-capitalist versus, you know, these fake friends over here. Right? That's right. Yeah. <laughs> and the fake friends, which were, uh, you know, the 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 Koskiites and, um, you know, the Mensheviks, um, the gaslighters, yeah, the gaslighters. Exactly. These gaslighters uh, also existed in Marxist day. Right. Um, and again, from the Gotha program, uh, Marx critiques the uh, free people state um, that was in their program. Um, however, as we talked about, uh, this is nothing more. And again, 
the uh, the, the Mensheviks, the Kosciites. Um, this is nothing more for them than a bourgeois democratic republic. And I love that Ooh. Lenin... Lenin mentions this. He's like, obviously, duh, quote, we are in favor of a democratic republic as the best form of state for the proletariat under capitalism. But we have no right to forget that wage slavery is the lot of the people, even in the most democratic bourgeois republic. Furthermore, every state is a, quote, special force for the suppression of the oppressed class. Consequently, every state is not free and not a people's state. Yeah, no shit. Yeah, it's an oxymoron, right? Like, if the state exists as a byproduct of the uh, irreconcilable nature of class antagonisms and it only exists for the exploitation of one class by another, then it can't possibly be free. It can't possibly be a people's state, right? Like, he's saying, look, it's better that the workers are allowed to vote than that they're not allowed to vote in this uh, fucking bourgeois republic. But, you know, it'd be even more democratic if they could fire their boss. Exactly. Exactly. Because that is that is true. I would say that is besides just political democracy, economic democracy. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's uh, that's. I mean, equally, if not more, if not also embedded in political democracy, the two things are inextricably linked. Right. Um, And uh, fifthly, uh, which which is kind of like the haymaker of of this first chapter, um, he talks about the withering away of the state is bound up with violent revolution. And again, he quotes Engels and I'm going to read Engels here. Um, This is Engels argument. He says that force, however, plays yet another role uh, other than that of a diabolical power in history, a revolutionary role. That, in the words of Marx, it is the midwife of every old society which is pregnant with a new one. That it is the instrument with which social movement forces its way through and shatters the dead, fossilized political forms. Of this, there is not a word in her during, which I'm assuming is one of these uh, social democrats and opportunists, which uses the, uh, the rhetoric of socialist revolutionaries to pretty much sell bourgeois liberalism. Uh, it is only with sighs and groans that he admits the possibility that force will perhaps be necessary for the overthrow of an economy based on exploitation. Unfortunately, because all use of force demoralizes, he says, the person who uses it. And this in Germany, where a violent collision, and I think this, this we'll mention this, but this point is important, I think. He says, and this in Germany, where a violent collision, which may, after all, be forced on the people, would at least have the advantage of wiping out the servility which has penetrated the nation's mentality following the humiliation of the Thirty Years' War. And this person's mode of thought, and goddamn, it goes in dull, insipid, and impotent, <laughs> presumes to impose itself on the most revolutionary uh-huh. party that history Dick has ever known. No, no, it doesn't. It does exactly what he said, pretty much. But um, I mean, like, I think that I think that what's important here to remember is that um, that these social democrats are substituting dialectics for uh, uh, getting ideas from a diverse range of sources, right? So it's disillusioning because it ends up deceiving people of what really needs to happen, right? So, you know, they speak of, they speak kind of in terms of quasi-socialist language and even allude to revolution, but the, the withering away of the state, Lenin mentions, is something that they put in the foreground. The violent revolution kind of takes a backseat. Right. Um, The exact quote from that um, is that he says, uh, sorry, 
Um, this sort of substitution, of course, is, is nothing new. Um, in falsifying Marxism in opportunist fashion, the substitution of electicism for dialectics is the easiest way of deceiving the people. It gives an illusory satisfaction. It seems to take into account all sides of the process, all trends of development, all the conflicting influences and so forth, because don't you just want to take information from both sides? Don't you just want to be like kind of nuanced and well-rounded mm -hmm. and not jump to seemingly um, extremist points of view, such as revolution? Well, I mean, if you're allying yourself with the bourgeois who want an imperialist war, you probably would want to do that, right? Yeah. Um, so, Reminds me of, yeah. um, what's, fuck, who, what, some like high up army guy, you're, everyone's gonna make fun of me for not mm. being able to remember now who I'm talking about, but it doesn't fucking matter. Some high up army guy was like testifying um, about critical race theory. Oh my fucking God, yeah. I wanna say, and he's like, well, I read all kinds of shit, you know, you should teach all kinds of shit because it's just it, it's interesting. You know, I read I've read the Communist Manifesto and I'm not a communist. Um, and... Yeah, he was like, I've read it. He's like, I've read let it like this is shit that you say when you walk into a DSA, like, you know, fuck shit or something like that. Like eat, drink and be Marxist. Like I've read Ma Lenin. I've read Mao. You know, yeah. I've read like that, no, dude. Like, it's OK to read. It's OK to read things. It's just knowledge. You know, it's not like you're going to use it. Yeah, exactly. You're, you're not you're not going to. Go ahead, sorry, Jamie. Do you remember who I'm talking about? I know exactly who you're talking about, man. I don't remember the guy's name, but I know like the quote. I know who you're talking about, man. Who knows any of these fucking generals' right, yeah, names? His but name's I know you're not about. fucking important. All right, yeah. this is a communist podcast where <laughs> we're not being graded on our ability to remember the names of the different fucking uh, no. children of G empire. Yeah, children these people are illegitimate the, to us. The, the managers of empire. You <laughs> exactly. know? they're all the same. Fuck yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, I would, I just want to end with this quote that I, I like a lot, man. Uh, uh, Lenin says, as he ends uh, part four of chapter one with, the supersession of the bourgeois state by the proletarian state is impossible without a violent revolution. The abolition of the proletarian state, that is, of the state in general, is impossible except through the process of, quote, withering away. And um, that concludes uh, uh, part four in chapter one. So good job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I kind of had a rocky, rocky, uh, rocky start with uh, part three. But um, hopefully if you guys are reading along, you're also figuring out as as we are as well. So no, I think we both did great. Yeah. And um, we should be very proud of ourselves. We should give ourselves a pat on the back. We should. All right, let's do that. Everybody yeah. else, uh, everybody who's gotten this far, yeah. also give yourselves a pat give on the back. Give yourself a pat on the back. Double pat this on is, the back. This is an yeah. interactive podcast. Yeah, exactly. So, so Jamie, what, what, uh, what are some of the things that, uh, to get to end this off with, what are, what are some of the discussion points that, that, cause there's a lot to talk about actually. Yeah. Well, you know, I am, I very much fuck with communization theory. Uh. I'm a little bit anarchist adjacent that way. And, um, but I'm also a Marxist and that's why I like communization theory. Cause it kind of uses Marx to it synthesizes all these things together. Um, mm. so like the idea that the abolition of the proletarian state, Mm. i.e. of the state in general is or or the final form of a state is impossible except through the process of withering away yeah. i'm like how do you know that <laughs> like yeah maybe that might be true but like it's never happened before and it's never happened in the history 
of socialist revolutions. So I'm not sure how that's any more scientific a position than, oh, hey, what if what if state socialism is actually a bottleneck that we will never, ever get out of? Yeah. Right. Because I mean, okay, if you believe that the only reason the state exists is um, to manage these class antagonisms, then I think it does make sense. But I think uh, the proletarian state, when we've seen them arise, or, you know, some of our anarchist listeners might even argue, I mean, anarchist left comms, it's not just anarchists, um, mm. might argue that these states are not even examples of a proletarian state or dictatorship of the proletariat, like they didn't get that far, but mm. whatever you want to call them, right? Um, when you try to have socialism in one country, in a world that is still capitalist, um, the, the, prolet- the quote-unquote proletarian state is going to do other things besides manage the class conflict, besides deal with the bourgeoisie, basically. Yeah. It's also it's going to run the economy, for instance. Yeah. It's going to have to do economic developmentalism, um, and you get a layer of bureaucracy. And I don't know if the people in charge are going to give up power willingly when push comes to shove, which is why I think, I don't know, I think a second revolution might wind up being necessary and i think we should be open to the possibility yeah 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 i think that um, we were talking about this on the phone earlier uh, a couple hours ago but you know there's the dictatorship of the proletariat you know the dick prol versus uh, the dictatorship of the party you know um and i think like party kind of cronyism cronyism and this this like you know i <clears throat> I don't care if I make people upset. I mean, I just think the fact that, like, you know, if you have this one party system and the party is sort of based on, um, like, favoritism, right? And based on elevating oneself through the ranks of the party, right? Um, Doing, you know, all sorts of tit-for-tat favors, right? You know, to not only elevate one's own status, but to possibly take care of one's family and so on and so forth. You know, like... When these roles and positions become entrenched, right, with these party bureaucrats, I don't really know if you can say that it's a dictatorship of the proletariat, right? Like, I mean, that's I think that's that's where this withering away is. As we're talking about, Jamie, I think we both agree is like, does it? Are you sure it withers away, or doesn't it? Or does it just kind of ossify and harden itself, right? Yeah. You know, like I was also thinking about this earlier. I was thinking a lot about coercion, right? Like. All like, I mean, the capitalism is rife with coercion. It's based on coercion, right? But would you, do you think that under, well, under socialism, this transitional period, this dick pro, do you think that coercion is necessary? And what kind of coercion are we talking about? You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, if you want to call the USSR a dictatorship of the proletariat, uh, there Mm -hmm. was certainly coercion involved. I'm not sure if I would call it that i'm not sure if they ever made it that far i wouldn't Um, i wouldn't honestly but um there was certainly a lot of coercion involved there like how much control did the average worker have uh, over their lives they still had to do wage labor or they would starve to death although certainly less so than in a fully capitalist country like yeah and with and with social benefits that you know americans can even dream of yeah, like it was based, it was a based social democracy. That's what I'll, that's what I'll, that's my spicy take. Changing, changing, changing the USSR's official name to based social democracy. Yeah, why not? Um, yeah. Where am I going with this? Um, in, a, in a true dictatorship of the proletariat, 
Um, I mean, Marx is very clear on this in Critique of the Gotha Program that they he thinks that there would still need to be wage labor for a little while. While um, I mean, it's almost like I've I've heard this metaphor before. I don't remember where, but it's almost like um, it's like a cast on a mm. broken boat or something like you have to sort of train the old the old thing to heal like mm. our social relations have to heal um mm. we have to bring about a free association of you know guys gals and non-binary pals <laughs> working together for common purpose and maybe at first people will need training wheels like we talk about this with jasper mm. on our critique of the gotha program episode like maybe we need training wheels maybe we need a system of labor vouchers or something that is familiar to people and once they figure out how to run the world on their own once they get comfortable with the idea that no money is being exchanged mm. but the same productive processes are occurring that's when the cast can come off and yeah. that's kind of the withering away that he's talking about here so i i mean i still think it's a beautiful idea i'm not mm. willing to fully discount it because what the fuck do i know yeah. but i also think that it is a bit of perhaps perhaps a bit of a stretch to say that you know for sure that that's what's going to happen and at the end of it we'll have full communism because it has never gone that way yeah 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 and I, I think too what 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 i always think about is that you know it's not just an economic or you know political you know revolution that needs to happen it's it has to be a shift in social consciousness you know and I'm wondering if that can if that can just come from the material, um, the material demand, or I guess uh, the material shift in uh, all the means of production being owned um, by common, right? Like in uh, owned by everyone in common. Like I don't necessarily think that as transcend as transcendental as that economic shift is. I don't I don't think that it follows that there'll be a shift in social consciousness or a cultural revolution. Right. So to speak. Right. Um, yeah. I don't really know what that like. Like, what do you like? What what do you do? I mean, outside of like, you know, um, threatening people, you know, with violence, with explicit violence. Like, wh what do you do to like say to people, hey, this is the way that things are going to happen now. Right. I mean, I know political education. Right. But. I don't know. You know, I, I think that people are very much products of their environment. And, you know, this the kind of vestiges of the earlier mode of economic production. I think that's why we were talking to Jasper, the labor vouchers. Right. The, the, those are those are like kind of great ideas because it kind of it's like eases, you know, like people into this kind of like society during this transitional phase. But there really have does have to be the shift in social consciousness of what it means to be a human being, of what it means to own something, you know? Yeah. And so, what it means to be a person in the world in relation to other people. And exactly. to have those relationships not be mediated by the market. Exactly. Exactly. And have to regrow us some social bonds, folks. That's <laughs> yeah. not going to be easy, but there's just going to fucking do it. Yeah. Um, one more thing I want to mention, Jamie, that you, I see you have here in the notes, and I've been thinking about it, man, because... Uh, you know, I think that that's why, like I, the Civil War example earlier, I think is like kind of a, a great example. But um, only it only goes so far, though. 
you know, because there were these antagonisms between North and South. I mean, you know, even though they were also working in concert, you know, but industrialists using slave labor, the cotton from slave labor. But, um, you know, besides that, there was this kind of in, irreconcilable kind of differences. It had to be this violent conflict revolution. But like, you know, when you say like violent revolution or conflict, or let's look at like uh, January 6th, like, you know, the, the uprising, which is in the news again. Like that kind of shit just makes me think like, man, what is what's what does that look like in the United States? I mean, just look at last summer, man. You know, like people out in the streets during the uprising. I mean, I got shot with a rubber bullet. There are people that, you know, worst happened to them. You know, I think one or two people even died, you know, due to, um, to you know, yeah. policing, brutal policing. So it's like violent revolution. I, I'm under I'm under no illusions that that isn't what's necessary right at some point i'm saying beyond my lifetime i'm not indulging any fanatical like romanticism of revolution this is not the question of violence is not something anyone should take lightly or even want to be a part of unless you're a sociopath or whatever point is terrifying it's fucking terrifying it's not funny but it's like person is very frightened by violence oh and they should be but it's like you know when reading this and trying to apply this to today it's sort of like, well, that's not really where the United States is yet, right? But at the same time, you know, you, you, I mean, this is fucking why, like, we're communists, but, like, I supported Bernie. You know, sure, I supported, supported Bernie Sanders. You know, to some extent, I supported AOC. You know, so it's just, like, yeah, kind of we like... we want people's lives to be better. We want people's lives to be better because, as Lenin says, of course, right, a bourgeois, like, liberal democracy is the best sort of like, you know, like um, um, apparatus, right, under which like the proletariat can live, you know, besides, you know, being forced by gunfire to go to work or some shit like that, you know, you have the illusion of choice and voting who you want to vote for. But it's also like, we kind of know this is like Charlie Brown in the football, right? Like, it's kind of sort of like a dead end at some point. So I guess the question is like, what is, ah, damn, they can't even really add. We both can't answer this question. What does this look? What does this look like in the United States? You think, man? What is? This, where do we even begin with this shit? Yeah, I mean, that's a good question because you know he's talking about violent revolution at a time when it was very much already happening. Yeah. And we're talking about it at a time when, sure, there's violence, but is there a revolution? The possibility seems very dim and distant. Um, yeah. Although still. You know, I still believe, but I mean, we did have an uprising. We had an insurrection. I'm not talking about the January 6th bullshit. I'm talking no. about the George Floyd uprising. And it came in through the door that it was always going to come in through in this country, which is to say race, specifically the status mm. of black people in mm. this country, the black proletariat. Mm. Um, I'm not saying this in like a liberal, like, oh, black girls are magic kind of way like because of the the specific position in american history occupied by the black proletariat that's why it's going to come in through that door and i'm very convinced that that's the door it's going to keep on coming in through um but we had an uprising and all the fucking liberals are trying to pretend like oh it was largely peaceful and the only violent stuff that happened was all these you know like privileged white anarchists like coming in from other places like no it was a multiracial uprising led by black proletarians it was fucking violent they burned down police precincts. They smashed up cop cars because they were pissed off. So, 
dude, like, and I, I think that, like, not to cut you up, I think you brought up a really, really good point, man, because, like, liberals who are, like, uh, these Koskiites to kind of reference the text, right? Uh, these or worse. Oh, or worse. These fucking people will always fucking say in defense of um, when they're defending the uprising over the summer, which they won't even call an uprising. They'll just call them, like, the protests, right? Um, they'll say, oh, well... You know, they weren't actually um, in in response to like critiques of critic or critiques of right wingers saying that they were violent. You know, they'll say, well, actually, and I mean, I statistically, I guess if you look it up, right, like you know, most of the protests, the protests were which were kind of mediated and managed by cops a lot of the fucking time. Of course, they were fucking peaceful. I, I remember uh, the grandmas uh, uh, in Portland, right, who were protesting against police brutality, right, and these liberals will point to that shit. And say like, oh, well, you see, the protests were largely peaceful. But when it's actually the burning down of police stations, when it's actually what they would call looting or rioting, I mean, all I call it is like, you know, fucking reclaiming what's been owed to you, you know, basically. But dead ass. They, dead ass, though. But they never want to touch that part of it, though. And they want to make it all seem like, you know, as these fucking Mensheviks, as these social Democrats, that the way to any sort of. And I don't really think they want it to be transformative, but what they would call transformative, their like horizon, they think that it can be achieved through peaceful parliamentarianism, you know, a.k.a. voting for Joe Biden, a.k.a., you know, like the, the court system, you know, the fact that Derek Chauvin, you know, fucking got convicted as if he wasn't like a sacrificial lamb to the wolves. Right. So I, I don't know, man. You know, think violent revolution is is it's kind of. Not even if it's inevitable, but it's sort of, it seems historical, you know, that's, that's what I'll put it. That's what I'll say. I mean, I'm honestly, I'm of two minds about this because obviously military technology has advanced quite a bit since shit, you just uh, scared the, the shit out of, of me Lenin. Um, <laughs> no, like they have advanced surveillance technology that they didn't have back then. They have fucking drones. They have those crazy looking robot dogs they could probably they got the stingrays that can intercept cell like they they're the fucking like uh, pretend uh cell towers that can intercept like you know fucking communications and shit man yeah they got all kinds of shit now um so like on the one hand i'm like oh god how's that ever gonna how's that ever gonna work but like i honestly think it's not necessarily a matter of who has more guns right because the Mm. the the government the state and the ruling class always has more guns than the workers do throughout fucking history. I think we got to get away from the, the idea of it as a pitched battle and mm-hmm. get back to the idea that most of this work is political. And that's yes. how come you can have like 10 fucking farmers get together in a rice paddy and topple a government, you know, like <laughs> these things have happened before. Um, it always seems impossible until it does. And exactly. I think it could very well happen again. I mean, it wasn't that long ago that everyone thought John Brown was crazy for saying, oh, hell yeah. hey, slavery is immoral in the eyes of God. We, and he, was, he was a religious fanatic, but that's okay. Yeah. Um, we need to end slavery. And the only way that we can do that is via a civil war and everyone thought he was out of his fucking mind and guess yeah. what guess what happened so i guess what i'm it. trying to say is that we are just like john brown yeah we're, we're, we're all just like john brown the only good white man well just like good like john brown i, I will say like uh I, I think i quoted this like the last episode but like i 
you know, you know, power, Frederick Douglass said, you know, power concedes nothing without demand, except like the demand is not a petition. It's not like rallying. It's not like sitting on the steps of the Capitol and like, no, nah, dude, like you can't ask the people holding the chains to release you. All I'm saying is that at some point it just seems to me. And I think that I think that this is sort of maybe this is just not even a, a, a kind of a, a Marxist analysis. Maybe this is just like kind of that this country was born in this like kind of faux revolution, the mythology of this country. I think like, I think by I mean, and large- It was a like, bourgeois revolution. It was, it was a bourgeois revolution, exactly. It was exactly. a fucking which, right-wing-ass revolution. Exactly, which is to say, which actually, that's that's actually a great point, which is to say that when people talk about like violence, right? You mentioned this earlier, is that the bourgeois, they have the monopoly. The state has the monopoly on violence, right? Like, it's not as if violence doesn't already fucking happen every single day to people. It's not as if capitalism, imperialism especially, through pre-primitive accumulation, right, was not bathed and birthed in violence. So it's like, you know, it's kind of like that Angela Davis, you know, when she was questioned by this white uh, reporter, like, you so asked me good. about violence? Can we no, cut so that in? Yes, we, yes, uh, yes, put, yes, we put that in note to cut that one in, man, because that, that, uh. when, she, when he added, we can cut that in and put that towards the end or whatever, because that's, that her, actually her response is kind of like, you should read, read Stated Revolution and then, or watch that first and then read State and Revolution and it'll help make a lot more sense. Yeah. It really will. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the system is one of violence. There's daily, daily violence to maintain it and people might not perceive it that way. But I think that's part of our job as communists and as people doing political education to sort of denaturalize the everyday violence and, you know, call as much attention to someone dying from, oh, a lack of health care or... Yeah. Or, you know, obviously violently at the hands of the police. Um, yeah. But call as much attention to those kinds of violence as to, you know, all the concern trolls who are like, oh, but revolution is violent. We don't like violence. And I mean, if you're, if you're you know, like to kind of to even go further, I mean, if you're, if you're one of those people that, uh, you know, and again, like we said, you know, it's better that the proletariat lives under capitalism in a bourgeois democratic republic, X, Y, and Z, blah, blah. But the, the, if we want to talk about, I go into the realm, the cursed realm of like, um, um, like uh, electoral politics, you know, parliamentarianism, we can look at the fact that the uh, moratorium on evictions ended, I think, this this weekend, this, this past weekend, it ended, and the House, the Democratic-controlled House, just let that shit pass right the fuck through, right? So, like, when we talk about, like, you know, using the state, right, this, this myth of using the state to achieve socialism, right, or even a social democracy, right, or even just to make sure that motherfuckers don't go, like, houseless during a fucking pandemic, resurgent pandemic, just fucking look at what we saw recently and ask yourself if that's the fucking way to go. Probably not. Probably not. And also in all this, I must say, um, people who are like, oh, well, we just, you know, things could, they're not that great, but they could always be worse. So we just have to keep them the way they are. Like it, we might not have a choice. Like capitalism is on fire. The ocean is literally on fire. <laughs> um, the center cannot fucking hold. I don't care what the Niskanen Center has to say about it. Remember that um, that that thing they put out? The center can hold. Blah blah blah. Uh, like, oh my fucking god! About, Are you just serious? Like, 
Yeah, just about like how we keep on doing a neoliberalism in these uh, in these turbulent oh. times. They're like here at the Niskanen Center, we like to believe the Falcon can, in fact, hear the Falcon. Bruh, bruh, that's like that's like that fucking meme with the dog, like the the cartoon dog in the house on fire. He's like, this is fine. Yeah, it's just like burning around him. Yeah, yeah pretty much. But um, yeah, yeah. this is all to say that mm. I don't think I think it's perhaps unlikely. I mean, I don't know what kind of organizational forms could arise in the future. I was kind of hoping to see them arise in a more developed way over the course of last summer, but it didn't. Um, we don't know. That could still be happening. But I think it's a lot more likely at this point than um, having a kind of orderly Leninist uh, revolution, very well-organized thing that rides the wave of um, mm. the, th these eruptions of popular sentiment. I think it is more likely that we're going to have a collapse before that happens, a collapse of some kind. And the question is, how do you or or I mean, if something if a revolution does break out, I think it's much more likely to be a right wing reactionary one Same. than I mean, considering how, you know, these fucking idiots got together on the Internet and like did more to cause trouble for the bourgeois state uh, in then one fuck day. Then fuck all we've been doing for like fucking the last 10 years, right? That, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, I'm sorry. So that's like pretty pathetic. Um, so, <laughs> which is all to say, I think the collapse might come before the revolution and it's going to be up to all of us to try to turn whatever chaos ensues into a social revolution otherwise we are fucked yes. but you know what uh, i got to i got to have hope you, you got to have hope man and i like that you you put in those those terms because you know uh i i kind of like go back and forth between boundless optimism and just like complete nihilism and complete doomerism and it's because Sure, this whole thing could collapse, but that doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to come out of this. When I say the anti-capitalist left, doesn't mean that we're going to come out of this on top. It could very well be a right-wing neo-fascist like sort of like revolution. I mean, I'm talking about the Reagan revolution on like you know like crack or something like that. You know what I mean? Like it can be like <laughs> that reference on crack. Yes, indeed. But like it could be like fucking terrible. So I think that this podcast and kind of what we're doing with political education is uh you know giving ourselves but you know other people hopefully the tools that they'll need to kind of like um i don't know like talk to their co-workers and their neighbors you know yeah i hope so i hope that's what we're doing i, I mean, hope so too we man. could just be just like jerking each other off and yeah just screaming into the void before it um, all fucking falls oh, shit. we don't we don't know that but I hope not. Like, I really hope this is some kind of news you can use. Yeah. And, and you know what? We should we should say uh, maybe we should do this every episode. Kind of end it with, man, like let if you want, like if you like this, like share it with somebody who's not a communist or a socialist. You know, I mean, I'm not saying share it with your fucking. Hey, if you think your dad who voted for Trump twice would like it, maybe <laughs> then let him listen to it, too. But, you know, just your uh, theory. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Just uh, if you Yo, like this, just uh, <laughs> you go far enough left, you get to keep the guns. That's you get all to I'm keep saying. the fucking guns. That's all we're saying. Yo, you know, any attempt to uh, frustrate the army of the working people, uh, any attempt to do that must be frustrated. That's what that's what Ronald Reagan said. No, I'm kidding. It was it was Marx. Yeah. 
but yeah, give it to people who you think are ready for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or maybe I don't know. Maybe you're like dating someone and they seem kind of interested and they're like, oh, you got to teach me about this communism stuff, lol. And you're like, oh, well, um, don't don't tell them this part. Don't tell them this part. Um, don't tell them about the part where they're going to be sad and mad all the time about yeah. something they may or may not have any ability to impact the outcome of. Just yeah. Play them this podcast and, you know, the rest will be history. And the rest will be history. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. All right, Jamie. Was that uh, I think that was pretty tight, right. yo. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. I think so. I think so. I think Sorry. So. I'm still stuck on the rest will literally be history. The rest will be history. That was a good one. <laughs> the oh, rest will be you. history. That was see a good what, one. See what, see what I did there? Actually, yeah. Yeah. I had to go back and revisit it. That was not, That was nice. <laughs> That was, really, that was uh, quite materialist of you. That was thank, good. Thank you. I've, yeah, you know, good. I've had a rough few days, I'm going to be honest. So yeah. I'm really glad that we were able to get through this and hopefully it made sense. Yeah, I hope so too. And um, yo, actually, well, I mean, this will be, well, we're going to have, we'll talk after, but uh, we're planning to have Andre on, um, Andre Domis, some of you, you may know from Twitter. Um, hopefully have him on to talk about this. So he, I got to say. He's so fucking spicy on Twitter, but when I actually talk to him, he's like so different. Oh, he's mad nice, yo. He's like the he's big, like, he's the nicest big bro. And he's so I'm nice. like, how, how is this nice man that I know doing these, these I know, tweets? These, these tweets that are so mean, yo. Like, I think John Legend he blocked him, man. He called AOC a dirty gusano. <laughs> fucking <laughs> hilarious. But also, Fuck, like, even I thought that was a little uncalled for. Yeah, that's the that's a little bit, yeah. But, but Dre doesn't. Dre is not a bit, and he'll probably talk about it tomorrow when we talk about opportunism in relation oh to this text. Because he doesn't. He's not like AOC at all. He kind of he went in on her about um her Instagram post where she was like, "The Black Panthers had a free br breakfast club," and you uh, see, da -da -da. it's oh, like, yeah, but the Black it. Panthers, Black Panthers also advocated for community self defense. Oh so you know, yeah. Um, yeah. So stay tuned. Stay tuned for Andre. He's yeah. our friend, and he's awesome, and we're gonna talk about state and rev and hopefully the two of you aren't gonna gang up on me too much for being uh <laughs> i mean i do not identify as a left com i'm not nerdy enough to say that i'm any kind of communist besides yeah. just a com a communist yeah. but i am i like i do kind of swing that way yeah. so it'll be interesting to have a little bit of back and forth like this is the only kind of back and forth that i think is actually valid when it's between yeah different communists because as i said we are the adults in the room exactly exactly we're not trying to debate people who you know call themselves anarchists and then you know, tell people they should vote for joe biden you know what i mean yeah no that's that's nonsense um, it's fucking stupid as shit <laughs> but yeah if you liked what we did just now and want us to do more of it <laughs> um you can subscribe sign up on fans.fm slash everybody loves communism Give us, throw us some donations. Um, I guess we're going to start paywalling stuff soon. I don't yeah. really want to, but I feel like that's how you make money. So Yeah. And I mean, you know, I think that, uh, I think that we're doing, I think we're doing some good work here. And uh, if you guys are willing to compensate us for our time and the knowledge that we give you and other people, then please feel free to do so. And uh, we might start paywall in some of these interviews in order for that to happen so yeah. if you guys like this or you can think of any guests that you'd want to see you know uh you want to listen to and hear us talk to i guess let jamie know too 
Let us know. Yeah, we have comments now. If you click on the episode in Fans FM and go to its page, you can leave a comment. So that's pretty cool. I asked Kyle to do comments, and he did. Nice. Um, nice. Also, you, uh, I've integrated it with the Antifada Discord because I'm like, well, why do I got to make a whole new Discord for this? Let's just make it one big Discord because there's probably a lot of crossover between the yeah. two. Yeah. Yeah. So I- membership to either one of those shows will get you into the same discord which has a reading group and all sorts of cool shit yes it does yes it does oh, and, I, and yeah go ahead James, sorry go. one more thing about this we will never paywall the main episodes because we want this to be as accessible a resource as possible uh however we're gonna have some i guess some higher level enrichment discussion with various mm. cool guests and that will probably be more of the bonus content so there's like two levels you can play at here if you just want a basic uh accessible hopefully accessible introduction to uh the essential texts of marxism it that's free if you want to you know if you're like a huge fucking nerd give us some money and then you can hear the really nerdy stuff so how about that yeah, exactly. We don't want to make, uh, as communists, we don't want money uh, to be any uh, impediment to y'all getting this this uh, this learning, this learning here that we're trying to impart on y'all. So All let right. us know in the comments how we're doing. And uh, yeah, yeah, and maybe who we should talk to. Absolutely. And maybe uh, we'll start doing streams soon. I don't know. Hell yeah, we should. We should. We should start doing streams. I'm going to need a ring light or whatever the fuck that is so I don't look like I'm... Oh, me too. Like recording off a toaster or some shit like that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or a calculator, how the fuck? You look great. Thank you, we're thank doing you. we're doing a lot with very little overhead, so we are. We are. I think that's fine. But yeah, I'm gonna get a ring light too because I want to yeah. look I want to look hot. Yeah, dude. I mean, come I'll on. Be man. honest with you. Like that ass, yo. Like you know, sex, sex and sexual appeal sells, man. Like I let people feel see like... my cheekbones and shit. Clearly. Yeah, like the hotter yeah. we look the more people will listen to what we have to say because those are just the rules of the society exactly. we live in. So it Clearly. And we're taking advantage. We we're opportunists for that reason. We're taking advantage of that. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I have, I have no idea how to end this now. So, um, so uh, I'll just oh, wait. Yeah. oh, wait. I think, don't we have, do, do we have a sign off that I came up with? Oh, do the reading. Yes. All right. So thank you so much for joining us, everybody, on Everybody Loves Communism. And until next time, do the reading. Please do the reading. Bye. Uh, and, t- and, then, and then you ask me, you know, whether I approve of violence. I mean, that just doesn't make any sense at all. Uh, whether I approve of guns. I grew up in Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, Some very, very good friends of mine were killed by bombs, bombs that were planted by racists. Uh, I remember from from the time I was very small, I remember the sounds of bombs exploding across the street, our house shaking. I remember my father having to have guns at his disposal at all times because of the fact that at any moment uh, uh, someone we might expect to be attacked. man who was at that time in complete control of the city government, his name was Bull Connor, 
uh, would often get on the radio and make statements like, uh, 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 niggas have moved into a white neighborhood, uh, we better expect some bloodshed tonight. And sure enough, there would be bloodshed.